Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, City Church. My name is Erin Herman, and I consider it a joy and privilege that I have um, been able to be on the teaching team at City Church um, over the past year, and I'm really glad to be with you here this morning. Kudos to you guys for getting up, and I'm sure when you, if you were awake around 8 o'clock this morning, you're wondering if you were going to come to church this morning, so thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. Um, we are going through the kingdom of God together as we just talked about. And um, this is an exciting series because Jesus talks about the kingdom of God all the time. And since we at City Church are a biblically-based, biblically relationally-driven, spirit-led church, we are right in line with what Jesus wants us to talk about as we deep dive into the kingdom of God this year. Um, well, a little bit introduction to me. I turned 30 this week. Yes, happy birthday to me. I was really excited about my 30th birthday. I've been in my 20s for quite some time now. Um, and I woke up on my 30th birthday and was excited because there's something a little bit magic about your birthday, right? People a little bit nicer to you. And some, I got some text messages coming in and I was feeling really good about myself. And then I got in the car and drove myself to a physical therapy appointment to work out some hip pain that I've been experiencing. So my 30s are going swimmingly. All right, so we're going to be looking at a little bit more of the Holy Spirit, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church today. Um, I love talking about the Holy Spirit because I was less familiar before college with what the work of the Holy Spirit really meant in my life um, and how that would be expressed through my life. And so reading more in the Bible and being in community in, in college, I learned more about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm excited to t talk to you guys today about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a church. We're going to be looking at the letter to um, the Galatian church that Paul writes. And I want to give you guys a little bit of context for what's going to be happening. We're going to be looking at chapter 5 of Galatians. We're picking up a little bit down the road from what happened on the day of Pentecost. If, if you remember from last week, as Jesus ascends to the Father after his resurrection, he tells his followers to wait and to expect the Holy Spirit. And what we read is that at Pentecost, God fulfills this promise and places his Holy Spirit on people young and old, male and female, of all social classes. It's this amazing day where God says he wants his presence to rest upon each and every one of us. There is nothing that can hold us back from being included in this gift of the Holy Spirit being with us. And so what's happening in this pivotal moment at Pentecost is that this group of people is experiencing the presence of God in a new way. And they're charged again with this mission to take the gospel news to the ends of the earth. And what's pretty significant about this moment is that from the roots of the Jewish faith all the way back from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of God had been primarily Jewish. This was a community that had their faith in common, but also had their ethnicity in common. And what's happening moving forward is that as the church expands, God is saying all people are included in this story of God. And that is what the church is charged with. From the very beginning, God has been looking for partners in his story, people that he can partner with to bring his redemptive work. 
And if this is old news to you, I want to kind of shake that off this morning and remind us that it is pretty wild that the God of creation would choose to partner with people as feeble as us. People that really screw up a lot of the time, take themselves to physical therapy appointments on their birthday, that God would choose to be with us and to partner with us is a monumental thing. And it is pretty novel to our faith as Christian believers. All right, so one big thing changes where the Jewish people are bringing new people in and it's easier said than done. To make these two groups into one, the Galatians are figuring out how they're gonna live differently in this new situation. And there's division sparking in this situation because if you know a little bit about the Jewish community, they lived by a series, a code of conduct called the law. And it showed them how to live in every area of their lives. And so as they're bringing other people into the fold of God, they were wondering and there was division sparking over whether these Gentile believers would then have to adopt their code of conduct. And the thing really happening in this letter to the Galatian church is that they're trying to figure out about circumcision. And let me tell you guys, if I thought in my adulthood that I'd be speaking on stage, that would be, I would, <laughs> I would not have expected to also be saying circumcision on stage as much as I have. But this is <laughs> incredibly important in the biblical text because it is the sign of the covenant of God. And so for these Jewish believers to really know that they are part of the people of God, this was the sign they had. And so in this new future in the church, they're trying to figure out what is the sign of God on our lives? What is really telling us that we are the people of God together? This is a new reality. And Paul's kind of peeved in this letter, to be honest. He doesn't start out with a lot of a, a beautiful introduction to the Galatian church. He kind of gets to the point. But I also have compassion for the Galatian believers who must have been wondering, okay, if these people are going to adopt our beliefs, why are they also not taking on our behaviors or our code of conduct? Have you ever been in a position where the rules really changed and something that felt so familiar to you suddenly became unfamiliar and you were back at square one. For some people, that might be parenthood. For others, that could be marriage. I'm gonna tell you guys the story of my first date or the time I found out that I was on my first date. I was 16 years old. I had just gotten my license and this boy from Spanish class had asked me if I wanted to go hang out at California Pizza Kitchen. And if you were around in 2008, California Pizza Kitchen was a pretty hopping place to be. And so I went and I ordered the Thai chicken pizza as one would in 2008. But all of a sudden I realized this is a one boy, one girl situation and something felt a little bit different. And even though I had been eating for 16 years at this point, all of a sudden I kind of choked up. The Thai chicken pizza, if you're familiar, has little chicken bites kind of scattered around the pizza. And all of a sudden, I couldn't really figure out, am I supposed to bite pre-chicken, mid-chicken, or post-chicken? All of a sudden, I was worried about, are the bites too small? Are the bites gonna be too big? What is gonna happen here? And that was the moment I realized I might be on a date, which was confirmed later because he did pick up the check. Well done to him, very chivalrous. 
things didn't work out. I'm now married to Zach Herman over there. We celebrated five years this June. <laughs> but I just wanted to give an example of something that would have felt very familiar, suddenly feeling really unfamiliar. And this was new territory for them as they were trying to figure out what it meant to be the church together, Jew and Gentile. Paul is sharing with them that it is absolutely fundamental to grasp that to ask the Gentiles to adopt this ethical code of the law actually destroys the message of Christ Jesus. Because to add anything to the fact that our salvation is in Christ alone is to take the very power out of the cross. And he really wants them to understand that. But then they're left with this question, how then should they live? How will they know that they are not gonna fall back into a life of sin? How will they know if they are part of the people of God? And while this can feel like a far off question because we're not often talking in this church about whether we're gonna observe the Torah or not, I do wanna say that for a lot of us, I've noticed that there's an anxiety over whether we're living ethically or whether we're living right in the eyes of God. And that can sound like a couple things. Am I living within God's intent? Are my decisions within what God wants for me and for my life? How do I know that I'm growing in spiritual maturity or in, in the direction that God would have for me? Do I actually have the strength to move past the sin patterns that have been eating at me for a really long time? Can I trust my desires or should I be worried that those things are wrong or bad? And in order to quiet those questions, I feel like sometimes we can read into the scriptures as though they are going to tell us an ethical code, where, what to do right and what to do wrong. And while that's not totally wrong, there are really strong ethics in scripture. I've been talking with my life group a lot about this idea that in every story, we have this tendency to try to figure out who's the hero and who's the villain. If we see God's blessing, we're trying to figure out what did they do right to receive God's blessing. And if something goes wrong, we're thinking, what did they do wrong? How did they disobey? And that takes the focus off of a holy God that we're learning about his character and his goodness and what his action is in history and through us as a church. So then how would Paul answer how should we live Will you turn with me to Galatians 5 together and we'll be starting in verse 13. The scriptures say, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's interesting that when Paul answers this question, how are you gonna live the ethical life? How are you going to follow the Lord in this? That he kind of gives two options, two arrows. Option A, indulge the flesh. And option B, serve one another in love. And he makes the comment that the whole law is fulfilled in this very phrase, serve one another in love. And it's interesting to me that Paul kind of points this out as a, as a fork in the road. You have two options. And to understand what he's getting at here, I want to focus on the, the phrase indulge the flesh. 
because I'm pretty sure you guys have not used that this week in your colloquialisms. Am I right? The word flesh comes from the Greek word sarx, and it can, it can mean a literal flesh, the body, but in this way, it means something a little bit different. The footnote at the, at, in the bottom of your Bible probably says something like, it refers to the sinful state of human beings, often presented as a power in opposition to the spirit. But as, as Gordon Fee puts it, we're really talking about the flesh in opposition um, to the age to come. It's an eschatological term. I'll say that again, eschatological. I, in college, I could never say the um, word econometrics. Just putting that out there. So what we're really talking about in the flesh versus the spirit is that we have the option either to lean into how the world is right now, the present age, where things are fallen and they're broken and things don't work very well and we're out of peace with ourselves and one another. Or we have the option as Christian believers to point towards the future age, to decide that we believe that the kingdom of God is coming, we believe that God has broken into human history, and we are choosing to live into the hope of the future, that God is bringing shalom. That's really important to me. Because it might seem like a nuance here, because there are there is sin, and I'm not saying there is not sin, but there's this nuance in the flesh. Are we talking about the time of the flesh where sin can dominate? Or are we talking about the time of the age to come where God is king? And that little shift means that we no longer have to distrust ourselves all the time and be worried and consumed that we're not gonna know what it means to, to live in the flesh. Because we should know what it means to indulge the flesh. It looks like living into the brokenness of the world rather than living into the hope of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul continues in verse 16, he says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Essentially, are you gonna turn back to the old life, the world that is passing away, or are you gonna choose the life of the kingdom? Will you choose, will I choose, the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Paul continues, what does the flesh look like? He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'd like to point out a few things about this list. First, it's not meant to be comprehensive or exhaustive. It's meant to be representative of the things of the time of the present age that are causing... Um, causing sin and causing dissension among his people. These things are community breakers. Do you notice that the, the majority of this list are things that break apart community? Paul is pointing out again that God desires shalom and the things that are of the flesh are the things that stand right in the way of shalom. If you are worried that you're moving outside of God's intention for your life, take a look at the things that are harming people around you. Take a look at the things that are harming you. Examine the things that don't build people up 
And that is right where the things of the flesh are. And second, I really want to point out, and, and this is not my own original thought. I was listening to the Bama podcast, which some people um, have been listening to in this church. And, and Marty Solomon points out, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And when he emphasized that word obvious, it brought a lot of peace to me. Because these things, Paul's just not worried that his audience isn't going to know what sin looks like. You know what I mean? He's just not really concerned that you won't know what it looks like. Because these are the things that break down community. This is a list that is driven by self-protection and self-reliance. It's a list that means that we don't trust God with providing for us, so we have to cut down somebody else. It does not trust that the Lord is active in our lives. C.S. Lewis has this picture, and I'm using, I'm going to apply it in a little different way here, but if you notice, Paul's really not trying to say, like, oh, there are really two options, right? (laughs) He's kind of saying there are really two options, but one really is not very good at all. And so C.S. Lewis kind of has this image that it's like choosing a mud pie before going to the beach. If you have no awareness that the beach exists, then sure, you're gonna, you can sit around and play in a, in a mud puddle. Maybe, maybe we will today. But if you know that you could have a day on the shore, as, as the British C.S. Lewis puts it, why would you not choose to live like that, to live with the hope of Christ so let's turn to what life in, in the hope of Christ looks like. Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is a much nicer list, a much nicer list. And and a few comments on this list is one, it's also not exhaustive. This is representative. It offers us a glimpse of the work of the spirit in our lives. And again, the majority of this list is community builders. What would it look like to be a community that placed these things at the center and desired these things? It's a peaceful life because it chooses to trust that God has each of us in mind so we can live with an open hand to the people around us. We have the freedom to keep other people in mind. And if you look at this list, it's truly a picture of Jesus, who is our image of forgiveness and of goodness and of gentleness. In other words, the work of the Spirit in our lives is to empower life remade in Christ's image, allowing us to look more and more like our king. And I also want to mention that this can't really be done outside of community. You can't really love by yourself. You can't really forgive by yourself. These are things, and you can't really be kind without being kind to someone. So these things, the spirit is forming us as the people of God. And our spiritual formation really just can't happen on our own. It matters because God is forming a people for himself and he is forming us together. Your maturity in Christ cannot happen in isolation. So I wanna point out a few things and then, and then we'll walk away with some feet to our faith. Number one, the spirit is at war with the flesh. We want shalom 
We want to be people who engage with the Holy Spirit. And that is our call as Christ followers. We stand in the now and not yet of these realities. And we've been talking about that this year at City Church. And so this doesn't mean that we'll never be touched by sin and suffering. We will be. But it means that when we have the option to choose the things of God, we can stand with hope that that's what God would desire for us. This is not a triumphalist approach. It's a realistic approach. Paul doesn't say you'll never, ever experience temptation, but he does say by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's not expecting that the Christian life would be dominated by sin. He's expecting that the Christian life would be filled up with the Spirit and move towards the age to come. That is cool. That is exciting. And the Christian life is dynamic and really not boring. And Honestly, Paul is expecting that the church that he's writing to is experiencing the dynamic presence of God among it. That he doesn't expect that people are waiting around for the Holy Spirit. He's expecting that people are desiring the Holy Spirit and want to see God's presence in their lives. The same spirit that brought Jesus up from the dead is now at work in us and among us. All right, so... Lastly, he, he calls us to action and he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The language of walking was used by Paul to convey that something should be within our whole lives. That's the image of walking. So when he asks us to keep in step with the Spirit, he's asking us to live a Spirit-led life. In one simple sentence, Paul is conveying that the spirit leads, but we also have an action. It's not passive. Our spiritual formation is not just us sitting here and waiting for the spirit, but it is also not us leading. I remember listening to um, Ruth Haley Barton, who's a great author, and she was talking about spiritual formation. I had my like earbuds in, and I was like, I want to be spiritually formed. And something that she said that was so simple was that the spirit leads our spiritual formation. And I was just like, man, if I listen to this one more podcast, I'm sure I'll be growing in spiritual maturity. And that then like one simple sentence, one simple thing was like, oh man, we can't just take a control of our spiritual formation. We actually have to desire that the spirit would come to us and that he would be guiding us and he would be leading us. It's a little bit out of our control, but it is so much more freeing to know that God actually wants relationship with us and he actually wants to be present in our lives. It doesn't have to rest all on my shoulders. It doesn't have to rest all on your shoulders because that we can trust that God wants that for you, that we can trust that God wants to be active. We don't have a far off God. We have a very near God. It's been said before that the reason why Jesus needed to ascend and the Holy Spirit needed to come was that he wanted to be so near to us that one person walking around just wasn't enough. The Holy Spirit wants to be in your life and he wants to be present with you. I also wanna say that this list of the fruit of the Spirit needs to be, we need to remind ourselves that this is the fruit and not the seed. The seed is the Holy Spirit and the fruit is this list. I, I bet I'm not the only person who's been to a Bible study where we say which fruit of the Spirit we want to look more like, right? Or <laughs> which fruit of the Spirit we want more of in our lives. And it's okay to want to be joyful and peaceful. Those are things are okay, but I think it needs to be flipped, right? 
we need to say, how much do we want the Holy Spirit? Do we recognize that God is so present? Do we recognize that God is so good and that these things will be present in our lives when we have the Holy Spirit? I was thinking about this. I have a really small little strawberry plant <laughs> growing this year. I had about, I don't know, what do you think, Zach? Like less than 10 strawberries this year. <laughs> but you can't have a strawberry without having a seed. You can't have joy without having the spirit that regenerates your heart and makes that plant and brings that fruit. I can't just want a strawberry badly enough to make that strawberry. Does that make sense? So as we turn to feet to our faith this morning, I wanna give some recommendations or some options for what it could look like to be more open to the work of the Holy Spirit into our lives, just to plant that seed and to trust that God will grow that seed into a plant. These are just four ways. There are so many more. And I just want you to take this as an option, a recommendation. First, I'm gonna say corporate worship. And good for you guys. You can say, I did that this morning. <laughs> but corporate worship is this time that we get to be together to remind ourselves of the hope of Christ. A lot of us are out in the world, different professions, different challenges that we're dealing with, and different options for truth that we see throughout the week. We might be swayed to, to think money is the answer. And then we come back here and remember that God has us. He has our backs and he wants good things for us. Corporate worship reminds us who we are, what the truth is, and we get to do that together. You guys might have noticed that the City Church lead team worked so hard through the pandemic to make Sunday mornings happen for us. In the midst of great challenges, they expanded from one service to four services outside and inside. Have you seen them be moving back and forth just to make these things happen? All because they believe that to come together to be the people of God and to worship God together is of such importance. Can we give them a round of applause for that? <laughs> so when we come together on Sunday mornings, let's believe together that the Holy Spirit is alive and active right here, right now. The second option I wanna just place out there is studying God's word. The Holy Spirit, the, the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit will remind us of the things that God says to us and how we can learn about God's voice and how we can recognize God's voice is to know what he said over hundreds of years and multiple authors. We have this text where we get to see one picture of who God is and how we interact with humanity. So whether you're studying God's word in groups or whether you're studying God's word by sitting down with it on your own, let's be people who know God's voice and who know what he's saying to us and can be formed by God. Third, I just wanna say, time alone with God. Time alone with God can look more than just studying God's word. It needs to include studying God's word, but it can look like journaling and reflection, getting out in nature, being with God in silence and solitude. These things are really challenging for me because I am an extrovert and to sit down by myself is really hard for me. But taking time to really know what God is saying. Have you ever, I don't know if your journal is or not, but even if your journal isn't writing out a prayer, if you journal what happened in your life and you look back on it five years later, 
I believe that you will see the way that God has answered either your written prayer or your unwritten prayer because God is faithful and he's going to point out to you the ways that he has been active and moving in your life. And then lastly, I wanna say time with others. It's really funny to me that from the outside looking in, sometimes church people can get this reputation of being boring because I don't think we're boring at all. I think we're a lot of fun. But you'll notice that the City Church staff also thinks we're fun and gets us snow cones and gets us pizza. And those things might not seem like the most spiritual things, but what if they are? What if celebrating that we know that we are loved by God and we get to talk about the weather and we get to talk about our kids' Halloween costumes and we get to talk about whatever is going on in our lives is actually a reflection that we are the community of God that places a hope in a king that is to come. So I don't mean this as a commercial for let's go city church, but maybe I do. Because to be a part of the life of the church and to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is alive and active will bear the fruit that you're looking for and is the answer to living an ethical life. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him so badly. And so let's be a people that give him time and space to work, to be people of joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. That is my prayer for our church. Will you pray with me as we head into worship? I'm so sorry. You can stand and will you pray with me as we head into worship? Jesus, we praise you this morning, Lord. You are so good. You are so kind. You offer us your grace and you give us your salvation, Lord. We thank you, God, that we are people who know that and want to live like it, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that you have given us your very presence dwelling within us and empowering us for a life in community together. We thank you, Jesus, that we can overcome the things that are of this present age and that we can be a people that point to the age to come, an age of shalom, an age where we are at peace within ourselves and with one another, Jesus. This is what we desire. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and renew us, Jesus, from the inside out, transforming us, Lord, and helping us to look more like our King and more like our Savior. God, you are our friend and you are welcome in this space. And it's in your name we pray, amen.